0: Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Welcome to today's Mayito Minute. Have you ever heard of the word neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity is the idea that the brain uh, can change throughout our lives. The idea that the brain, now I'm talking about the physiological structure of our brain, something that we can see and touch, that that thing inside of our skulls is capable of changing. It's capable of not looking the same on a physiological level than it did previously. It's capable of getting Better. It's capable of improving. It's capable of adapting, becoming more efficient, becoming more intelligent or skilled. And this is kind of a groundbreaking finding when they began to research and realize that this was the case because before this, the idea was that We were born, and obviously we all have brains. Again, I'm separating the brain in this episode from the mind. The brain being the physical structure inside of our heads that we all have and we can all see and touch. Okay, Um, The idea that when we were born, that brain had certain structures for all of us neurons and the placement of those neurons and the different areas of our brain they were basically set in stone kind of like a map basically uh you know uh, of the I'll just the United States and like the, the state lines were already drawn. So like Texas is a certain size and it's got certain borders and dimensions. And then you've got Oklahoma and you've got Kansas and you've got all these different places. The same thing, the brain, it was when we were born, that's it. That's what you got. That was the the deck that you were playing with or not playing with. And then neuroplasticity comes around and all of a sudden we begin to see research saying, well, that's not necessarily true. So I'm gonna give you guys two studies that were conducted to kind of solidify this in. And these are just two studies of many. I'm currently reading a book called The Happiness Advantage, which um, is a fantastic book. I will put the name of it in the notes in case you wanna pick it up and you wanna read it. But I'm taking these two studies from this book. And the first one talks about these like taxi drivers in london and the fact that like in london the streets are not on a grid so they're not numbered and on a grid where you can go from 7th street to 15th street and you know that that's eight streets away and then you've got to get to a certain avenue you've got to go from 100th avenue to 87th avenue and then you know you've got to move over you know 13 avenues and then and then you're at this location in london The the streets all have names and therefore you've got to memorize a very, uh, complicated street system, uh, to the point where they say that in order to become a cab driver in London and drive one of these famous like black cabs, you've got to actually like take an exam that, that tells us that you're capable of getting around this, this city, um, successfully. And What they found when they did neuroimaging on the brains of these cab drivers was that the area that was responsible for allowing them to be successful at navigating these streets was actually um, larger than it was for the normal person, that this area in the cab driver's brains that, that allowed them to be successful cab drivers, allowed them to get their passengers wherever they needed to go, that that area, because of repetition, because of, you know, quote unquote practice, that that area was larger than somebody who just wasn't a cab driver, somebody who didn't rely on that particular skill that was being stretched by that part of their brain. And so that was the first study that I thought was very interesting, Um, you know, that is highlighted in this book. The second one uh, was about this guy that was involved in uh, an accident that um, at work where some chemicals were like thrown in his eyes. And so he became blind. And so he had to adapt and he had to like learn to read obviously braille and, and you know, feeling with it, with his finger in his index finger, like he had to feel everything to know what things said and, and so on and so forth. And so, um, this study, the, the interesting part about this study, this is a one-off case study. But they took this individual, and they, again, they 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 hooked him up to a, a machine w- with brain imaging. And when he used his uh, left index finger, when they when they touched that left index finger, and they had that left index finger just running over things and just feeling things, um, you know, it, it, parts of the brain kind of lit up somewhat. But when they went to his right index finger, the one that he was now having to use and had gotten used to using to read and to to figure things out because he didn't have sight, when that neuroimaging was just nuts, uh, it lit up in areas that the the left index finger didn't. And so, what do both of these studies, you know, what what do they tell us? Well we could um kind of theorize some pretty crazy and off the wall theories uh you know that th- when this particular individual was born we knew they were going to be a taxi driver in London so their brain came kind of prewired uh to you know, um, be good as as a cab driver. They genetically were predisposed to be a cab driver so their brain had these structures like already set in stone before this individual was even born. And then with the individual that had the chemicals splashed in his eyes, it gets even a little bit crazier because then we would say that, well, uh, before this individual was born, we knew that they would have chemicals thrown in their eyes at some point and that they would lose their sight. And so the brain came pre-wired with just this incredible uh, power in this person's right index finger linked to the brain to be able to read Braille and, and get on and, and live you know, the, the normal lifestyle. Now those two sound pretty far fetched, don't they? And the more we read studies about neuroplasticity, the more we begin to go, no, no, that that can't be right. I mean, there's got to be something there. This 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 thing, neuroplasticity, has to exist. So why am I bringing this into a podcast and and material that I that I present that deals with the mind, not the brain, not the physical structure, the physiological structure of the brain, but the mind, something much more nebulous that we can't see, we can't measure. Why am I bringing neuroplasticity in to then link it to the mind? Because if we don't believe in neuroplasticity, if we don't believe that the brain can change anatomically, physiologically, then what use is it for us to work on that invisible part of our being the mind our thoughts it 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 doesn't it's fruit it's a fruitless endeavor isn't it because okay i can change my thoughts but changing my thoughts if it doesn't change my brain then what good is it going to do because ultimately my brain is responsible for it. my mind is not my brain is responsible for sending the signals to other parts of my body to make my body do different things. And for example, and again, sometimes we do, the thing with neuroplasticity is we work this out quite a bit unconsciously without even thinking about it. When this individual became blind, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to have to you know, exercise a lot of neuroplasticity to be able to read Braille and to be able to get good with this right index finger. Same thing with the cab driver. The cab driver didn't say, well, I guess it's time for some neuroplasticity once I pass this test and you know, making sure that uh, this part of my brain begins to function better, because if not, I'm not going to be a very good cab driver. I mean, they did these things unconsciously, subconsciously, right? We've used neuroplasticity before, whether you realized it or not. But where it gets more complicated is when we are consciously trying to get better at something, we're consciously trying to develop new skills, we're consciously trying to perform at a high level, we're consciously trying to achieve our goals and do something. And it's in those moments, oftentimes, that we don't believe in neuroplasticity. I don't think I'll ever get to that level. I didn't I don't think I'll ever be good enough. I don't think I'll be capable of that particular thing. And what are we communicating to ourselves when we're having these kinds of thoughts? We're basically saying, hey, brain, um I don't think you've got what it takes to be able to, you know, the the wiring. You don't have the the hardware right now to be able to get me to be a successful entrepreneur, or to be able to achieve this particular goal in my cycling career, or whatever it is that we do, right? We're basically communicating, hey, the brain, like, I, you know what? You're not capable of the change necessary to allow my body to do the things that it needs to do. And so we're dismissing neuroplasticity. So it's actually interesting. I would give you something to do with this episode. Make a list of areas where you subconsciously applied neuroplasticity and what that means. Your brain has changed. Riding a bike. Reading. I mean, the list can go on and on. And you didn't really think about, this is called neuroplasticity. Let's plug in. But then... On the other side of this sheet of paper, write down and list the areas where you didn't believe or you're not believing in neuroplasticity. Now, the great thing about this is if you've got all these other things on your left, sheet, left side of your sheet of paper where neuroplasticity obviously worked, it obviously benefited you, it obviously made you a better individual, made you you know, better at something you improved, then you can look at the right side of the sheet of paper and it's really simple to begin just saying, okay, I need to believe more in this principle of neuroplasticity with these other things on the right side where I wasn't believing them because I already have, look folks, we've already got experiences where this, this thing worked in... F- in our favor. So I would just encourage us. It was, you know, very, uh, I, I, I knew neuroplasticity existed, but I don't know that I've done an episode in the 200 and whatever, uh, episodes that I've got on this podcast. I don't know that I've done one over neuroplasticity, but it's super important that we know that this thing is real, that we know that this thing exists, that we know that this happens in our brains, and that we can change the anatomical structure of our brains to help us do whatever it is that we are looking to do. All right, I'm going to end it there. I hope that this episode benefits you. I hope that it speaks to you. I hope that maybe it awakens you to this idea of neuroplasticity, or maybe makes you think a little bit more about it, makes you think a little bit deeper about it. Again, I highly encourage, do the exercise. Line down, you know, the the center of the paper, left side, unconscious application of neuroplasticity and how it obviously has worked, and then the right side, these areas where we're consciously thinking that we don't believe in neuroplasticity because we're, we're being, you know, defeatist with ourselves and not thinking that we can do something. Folks, thank you guys so much for listening. If you are enjoying this podcast and you're getting something out of these episodes, please, do me the favor, share the episode, share the name of the podcast with somebody, subscribe to it yourself if you haven't done so. I would really appreciate your support. Thank you guys so much and have a fantastic rest of your day.